This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession. All right, guys, welcome back to the Western Obsessions TV podcast. On this podcast, I got a, I got a guest from uh, Stuck in the Rut, Tom Schneider. He, uh, these guys know how to get it done. Um, really good guys really good at hunting. So I'm, I'm excited today to pick Tom's brain on everything he's got going on. Tom, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I always enjoy these podcasts. It's fun to talk about hunting. Yeah. Nothing you, wrong with that. You get <laughs> two guys talking about hunting, man. These podcasts could probably go a week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> so what you been doing, man? How's life been? Oh, good, good. Um, we just moved into our house. We, I wish we were doing more spring bear hunting. Um, we've had a little luck with the spring bear, but we, it's just been such a busy spring for us. We've, um, from trying to keep our regular jobs moving, you know, um, to actually building my own house. I finally just finished my own house. So now I can um, catch up with um, the work that I've been slacking with. You know, I feel bad because I, I have a lot of clients and stuff when it comes to, uh, I do prop uh, property cleanup type work from, from mulching, grinding to, um, tree removal, so on and so forth. And so, um, I've just had a big list of people that I've had to put on the side temporarily till I got my house built. Now I'm playing a lot of catch up this spring. And then on top of that, Travis, some, some nights Travis like, Hey, let's go bear hunt tonight. I'm like, Ooh, okay, let's, let's do it. <laughs> well, we'll squeeze it in. He just got a nice one two 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 nights ago. Travis did so. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice man. So, uh, so full time, your full time job is uh, mm-hmm. that property cleanup is what you're just talking about there, and you guys yeah. build houses too. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then you guys sneak off and do a little hunting here and there. Not a little, man. You guys get a lot of hunting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean that. Yeah, and so usually this is our schedule is we bust our butt and we, I mean, we work hard all summer long. We don't take a lot of time off in the summer. And then when the fall hits, we pretty much just take the whole month, all the months off. So if we have like a particular client, like for example, Travis and I are working on a project with a particular client, we just tell them like straight off, like you're not going to see us during hunting season. So um, if you're going to hire us, just understand that September, you may not see us and your, your project will be put on hold. <laughs> and so, so we kind of like warn them in advance, like, look, like this is our schedule. This is our hobby. And so, um, it's our passion more or less. And, and so, um, some people respect it. Some people say, oh, okay. Yeah. And then Later on, we'll get that phone call that they're not happy that nothing's getting done. Like we warned you, we warned you we're hunting. So, um, but that, you know, really, you know, hunting, the success comes in putting in the time. And so um, I, I just, for me, I really can't be that successful if I just, you know, if I'm a weekend warrior, really doesn't work well for me because you got to put all the puzzle pieces together on a hunt. You know what I mean? Like you can't just go out on one weekend and in two days kill something i mean it, it works sometimes but for me i need to put in the time in the woods and start you know if it's analyzing tracks if it's figuring out what the animals are doing you know you just got to put in your time in the woods and so um for me i like to take off lots of time yeah to do that 
And that's nice. You have that luxury by owning your own business. Do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's pretty cool. You find cool clients to say, okay, I get it. You're going off hunting. And I'm assuming the community that you live in, maybe it's hunting's pretty prevalent. So people get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you're right, man. Like in order to be successful hunting, you have to put in the time. And, and it's, I think that percentage, let's just talk about like archery elk hunting. I think only like 10% of archery elk hunters are successful. And I, mm-hmm. and it, I would venture to say the 10% is, is a, uh, the same guys or girls are successful often. They continue to fall in that 10% because they put time in. And the other 90%, it might be the weekend warriors are like, hasn't, they haven't been able to get out in the mountains and, and analyze the tracks, see what the animals are doing. And they're like, well, I want to go hunting anyway. I'm going to take three days, four days off and just go in the woods and see what I can do. What do you think? Mm-hmm. On that? Yeah. And I, I actually have a really good example where, um, cause even in high school, I was very obsessed with hunting and, and, you know, I think, and I think you and I both have had haters in a sense where people always had excuses and why we were successful. Oh, it's the guns are long range, you know, or this or that. And, you know, it's like people just come up with excuses and why people are successful, but I think you got to ask questions, the real questions of like, okay, like rather than being jealous and being upset that this person's successful, maybe I should learn from them and, yeah. and actually figure out what's what they're doing. That's right. And so um, one of these, actually one of my friends, I would consider a friend. He, he, we never really hung out, but we were like, you know, buddies in high school, like during class time. And he would always ask me about, man, how do you get in the elk all the time? And cause we were, you know, I was, I had a very good success rate, even in high school, you know, um, our family did my dad. I mean, my dad had a lot of experience elk hunting and he did the same. He had the same schedule where he's a logger. And so, um, in September he shut down the whole loggering operation and all him and his, and his employees would go out elk hunting, you know? So that's kind of, I'm kind of following my own dad's footsteps there with, um, with how he operated his own business. And, um, well, anyways, so this friend in particular, like, you know, he was struggling and he wanted to learn how to hunt elk and kill elk. And in the, you know, and this is after high school now, you know, um, and several years later, I'm seeing that he's killing a lot of stuff now. And I'm like, man, good for him. Like this was a guy that I never saw kill stuff. And now he's, he's getting out there. He's killing elk. He's killing meal there and stuff. And so I just thought I'd ask him like, Hey, man, what are you doing different than what you were doing before? And he said, I'm putting in the time. Like, it's like, I actually just take off time to hunt, you know? And he explained to me back in the earlier days, he just partying and stuff was so on top of his mind that, that, you know, hunting was the last thing. And I think that's a lot of it too, is sometimes people don't hunt for the particular reasons to harvest. And I bet there's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, but I want, kind of the paint a picture in some people's mind where some people think that hunting is about sitting around a campfire and telling hunting stories like the podcast are getting because this is the time i actually really get to tell hunting stories we don't have time to tell hunting stories when we're on a hunt like when we're on a hunt like even on days we don't kill stuff like we're we're coming out of the woods in the dark by the time we get to our tent 
we got to do some quick camp chores and then we got to go to sleep because we got to wake up four o'clock in the morning again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. There's not, we don't have time to sit down and tell hunting stories um, at hunting camp. And, and so we take hunting and, and possibly too, we do take hunting a little bit more seriously. Um, you know, we don't, and if you do, I, I, it's nothing wrong with it, but uh, we don't drink at hunt, you know, when we go hunting mm. or anything like that. And I always wonder like, man, like, cause um, I've had friends that can't get up out of bed the next morning. It's like, why do you even drink? Yeah. Like at hunting camp, when you know it's going to be a struggle to get up in the morning. For me, I try to eat right. I try to do everything I can so that when I wake up the next morning, I am refreshed and ready to run. Yeah. Um, you know no, what I mean? I No, I'm the same way. And I think it's the type of hunters that we, the category we fall into or we're obsessed about hunting, mm-hmm. you know, I've, and there's a lot of hunters that mm-hmm. are not as obsessed as we are. And that's great. And where they find their enjoyment is hanging out with other guys or ladies and, and BS yeah. and having beers over the camp. And that is, that's great. That's absolutely awesome. And, it, and it's enjoyable and it is fun, but if you are obsessed about it, mm-hmm. like we are, which not, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we take advantage of every little opportunity we can to increase our chances. So like you said, no drinks at night before you go to bed. So you can wake up at sometimes three o'clock in the morning because you have a three hour hike to get to where you want to go. And then you're yep. hunting all day, maximizing your efforts and you're eating right. You're drinking the water. You're maybe doing some electrolytes so you can stay hydrated. And then you're hunting till absolutely dark and then hiking three hours out and you're only getting four hours of sleep <laughs> you know so yeah so, yeah man, we're just a little obsessed like yeah and it's that's how we we enjoy it and so to other people like man you guys are crazy that seems like way too much work and that doesn't seem enjoyable but for me it's very enjoyable even though it looks like i'm super intense and i'm very serious about hunting i'm enjoying i enjoy getting into the animals whether or not i harvest something or not like I enjoy that process. Right. So we're just kind of more obsessed about it. I think. <laughs> yeah. I think in the end too, it's, it's kind of the reward, you know, and, and I've had to explain this to even anti hunters too, like, you know, like how people, they think we're obsessed over the kill. To me, it's the, I have the obsession of the reward of the hunt. And to me, it's no different. Like if I plant a garden, you know, I, I feel reward if my garden actually worked, if I, if everything's growing right. It, it's the same thing with building this house. Like I built this house with my own hands. Um, I did hire the plumbing and the electrical out, but everything else I did by hand, you know, there is a reward to that. Like, you know, I did this, yeah. you know, like I would have not, like, I know every inch of this house, <laughs> um, you know, versus, you know, if somebody just bought a house and just moved in, like it, it means a little bit more to me this house is, you know, and I think it's the same thing with the hunt. Like even if they eat the meat, you know, like, you know, obviously for me, I like going for a big mule deer buck or a big bull elk, but when me, when I eat the meat, it's more meaningful. Like Mm -hmm. I did this and, and and that to me is more of the, it's a reward that I'm getting out of it. And, and I am, and maybe it's just, I think it's people that possibly um, don't look that way for me i'm a very much a person that i think ahead and you know i think you know what am i going to where am i going to be two years from now where am i going to be three years from now um you know so for me like when it comes to hunting there's a like for me 
Like it could be, I know I'm going to be on this hunt for 10 days. And so I'm not looking in the right now. I'm not looking at how hard the hunt is right now. For me, I'm looking in my mind, in my mind, I'm like, I want to kill that big bull. What do I have to do to kill that big bull? And so I do everything in my power to try to kill that big bull. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I don't think about the aching joints or the aching pain, you know, the pains until after the hunt. And then when I show up at home, I'm like, man, what did I do to my body? <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of comes after. Yeah. And that, that goal of killing that big bull or big mule deer, that's the, you know, the 2%, that's the icing on the cake. But it's the 90% yeah. of the, the process of getting there. Okay, where is he? Where do we think the, the animals at? How do I get there? How do I hunt them? Where do I camp? Where do I do for food, water? How do I be safe? on? Like this, the whole process of doing it is the value. And then if, even if you got, okay, I found them. I got real close. I didn't get the kill. But 98% of that hunt, I enjoyed. And that was the process. I didn't get the kill. Well, maybe next year right? Like it's not mm -hmm. a huge deal. Um, and you, you still enjoyed your, your time out there. Yeah. yeah. You still have to, you can't, you can't hate the hunt, you know, like yeah. that's what hunting is. I wouldn't consider as a, you know, I say some people consider hunting as a gamble. They'll say that word like, Oh, hunting's a gamble. And I wouldn't say a gamble because a gamble is something where, you know, like regardless in how much effort you put into it, you know, it's either you come out successful or not. But like, for me, it's more like, I look at it more, a little bit more like investing, like, you know, there's risk to investing, but if you do it right and you put in your time, you can come out great. And I think it's the same thing with hunting where you put in your time in the right places and you use your knowledge in the right places, you're more likely to be successful, but there's still, there's still a chance you're not going to kill something. Right. And there's always still that road hunter that kills a really giant, like a real big giant. And you're just like, what the heck? How did he kill that? But what's his odds in doing that again? Not high, you know, like it's, it's the guys that put in their time out there in the woods. Those are the guys that are increasing their odds in killing a big animal that they're after. And, and, and the one thing I love about hunting too, especially like you're saying, for me, it's not always about the kill, but I like to be in action. What really pisses me off. Sorry, maybe I'm not supposed no, to. No, you're good. Cuss. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But the one thing that upsets me is when I'm hunting an area and there's just no animals, period. Like, you know what I mean? That's probably the most upsetting thing to me. And, and that really has, and I won't get to too much right now, unless you want to talk about, but like wolves create those areas where literally there's not a deer track there's not an elk track in the entire drainage and that's kind of really what gets me is like you know for me i like to have action i like to see wildlife it's just nice i mean even if it's not hunting season i like to get up in the mountains and see moose see elk see deer you know i like to set out trail cameras i like to see what's living in the area it's really neat when you feel like you know the area you know what i mean and you know, the ghosts that live in those areas, you know, there's like, like, I love, like, one of the biggest rewards for me is just knowing that there's a big giant mule deer living in an area and nobody else knows about it. You know, I think that's, people still think that's impossible at this day of age, because well, especially, I think a Utah and, and everybody's like, oh, that's, you know, they got a name for it. Yeah. Oh, that's, 
that's Greg the Buck or that's Popeye. Well, I guess that wasn't Wyoming Muley. But, you know, everybody gives these big bucks names and everybody knows about that deer. But I think what's really neat is actually hunting a really big buck that nobody knows about. And, and, and even just knowing, I think just in the fact of knowing that deer exists is a reward yeah. in some way. Like, man, I can't believe that deer exists. And I am mo- like, I don't know if anybody else that knows about that animal. And, and to be the only one after it's, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it kind of makes the hunt. Yeah. And you don't get that without putting a lot of time into the woods and back to what you mm-hmm. said about investment. I, that makes a lot of sense is you, there are risks in hunting because you're investing your time and energy. And if you go into an area uh, you may think the risk is low of not having any game in there, but if you get in there and there's no game in the area, you've just invested maybe at least a day, if not two days of your time in there. And then you got to go back to a plan B, which is move camp out, rehike out, rehike in, set up camp. Yeah. It's, it's a risk investment for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we'll get back to the wolf thing for sure, because that's a big topic. Mm -hmm. You guys are, um, uh, very good wolf hunters too. I want to get into that, but let me kind of Mm -hmm. back way up and like, how did you, how did you guys get started? started hunting and like started uh with stuck in the rut yeah so it, it i mean it definitely started with my dad well not stuck in rut itself but just hunting because my dad had a strong passion of hunting um he was a, he had the elk bug he had the mule deer bug and you know he lived in the what i would consider as the golden years right him and his friends did where they would he was killing 30 inch mule deer on public land and same with some of these, his friends. And, you know, and he even says to this day that he was one of the first, you know, he, he's in his sixties now, but he says like archery hunting was not popular and they would have these long hunting seasons. You would be the only guy on the mountain bugling elk and you would be having the action, you know, more action than you can have. And, and they were sitting there. I mean, he said the bugle tubes that they had back then were kind of like a comparable to like a vacuum tube, like a, one of those little tubes. Yeah. And, and it just comes out like when you blow on them, it just sounds like a whistle. And, and so, um, but anyways, I mean, he has all the stories Hell, his friends have the stories of the big bulls that got away and some of the big muleys that they've killed and stuff. And, um, anyways, well, it's just, it's kind of inevitable, inevitable, like that I was going to get into hunting, right? Because my dad was that obsessed with it, with himself. And, you know, he had a very, at the time, um, in the 1990s, the, the booming industry was logging. And there was 18 mills running in our area where we live. And, you know, that was before the environmentalist groups and stuff came out. But um, but anyways, like, and a lot of people don't know this, but logging actually benefits wildlife. So as the log, the more logging there was, the more wildlife would come out because that brush gets choked out with, if the timber gets too thick, the brush gets choked out and can't grow. Well, if you log certain areas and do it right, that, that brush can now grow. It has sunlight and now there's feed for wildlife. And so um, the elk numbers along with the logging, spiked our moose population spiked the mule deer population spiked everything spiked through logging um at least in in the area we live every region's different um but 
during that time when my young years, even when I was eight, nine years old, dad would take us out in the woods. We were, I remember him calling an elk and shooting them, you know, and, and I would just be there as a tag along and he wouldn't take us on like extreme hunts when we were that young, but he would, you know, we, the, I, the thing is, I remember him walking, you know, we'd get out of the pickup to throw a beagle and get elk answering right next to the rig. And then we'd <laughs> walk off the road 50 yards and start calling in an elk. I mean, that's how stupid right. it was back then. You know what I mean? And there was not a lot of hunters because, so I, I still even remember like in my younger years, I, I, st- I kind of feel weird saying that the good old days, like I experienced part of the good old days in my younger years. And, and I think what really got me hooked was shed hunting too. So my dad, he wasn't much in the shed hunting, but he, you know, he'd find sheds in the woods. And, and so he, you know, when we were young, he would kind of plan them and like, Oh, like, let's look for, let's look for sheds kids. And so he'd walk us through the woods and I'd pick up a shed and stuff. And you know what I mean? And then I got Easter egg hunt. It was like like an Easter Easter egg hunt. Yeah. For Mm -hmm. for sheds. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah. And so and then I kind of, I think all of us siblings got addicted to shed hunting too. So we were just as big in the hunting as shed hunting. And well, I'd say my high school years, you know, I still didn't have like, you know, the full on responsibility of living on my own. I still worked, you know, I worked in the summers, um, you know, had my summer job of dad, dad would actually like when I hit 16, I was logging in the woods with dad. Um, but in the fall, you know, I take off as much school as I possibly could to, to hunt. And yeah, I think probably, it's probably the most trouble I got in school was just taking too much time off hunting mm-hmm. and trying to find every loophole possible. If it was like getting a doctor's appointment on a day, I wanted to go hunt. And then I'd like go to the doctor appointment. Then I'd hunt that rest of the day, or I just call in sick even though I wasn't sick (laughs) and and everything I could to save as many days as I could. I think in, in our uh, school, we were allowed seven, six days, sick days. And so, um, so we we always had to try to find ways around it. Yeah. But you definitely max that out, huh? Yeah, I totally maxed that out. <laughs> but yeah, the elk was one thing that was obvious and I was going to get into, you know, because elk was dad's passion and he'd always take time off to hunt elk. So um, I started, I killed my first elk the first year that I had my hunting, you know, the first year after I took hunter safety and I was old enough to hunt, I killed my first elk. It was a, a young, it was a young cow, um, but it was my first. And then when I was 13, I killed my first bull elk. and from there, I, I was killing lots of elk. And I think the opportunity we had was really neat. Um, well, in Idaho, and I don't know, now I'm kind of a little back and forth with it. So in Idaho, as me being a resident, I can buy a, a resident tag. And if there's any non-resident tags left over, I can buy a non-resident tag. And so when I was younger, I could kill two elk and I can kill two deer in Idaho. Well, then me living close to the Montana border, if I was able to obtain a Montana deer and elk tag there, I can literally kill, you know, three deer and three elk total close to home. <laughs> and, and so I, I think, you know, for me in my younger years, I was, I would consider well, myself and Travis, we were a little bloodthirsty and we killed just a ton of stuff. You know what I mean? Like yeah. any tag we can get a hold of we would get it and, and fill it, you know what I mean? And, and so we had 
I mean, like I said, we, we did live in the good old days before I, I would say, you know, considerably, like I'd say hunting has changed a lot with the amount of hunting pressures in the woods. And then I think the other thing we fight too is our way of managing predators. And, you know, before then, like there was, I felt like people weren't pushing predators into our atmosphere or in our um, ecosystem as much. And now there's, there's groups that kind of, they control our areas, if that makes sense. And, and they're not from around here. And it, it, it kind of gets annoying at times. However, I will say that I think we've beat their own system. Mm-hmm. And, and I know they're upset about it. So, yeah. I mean, now I feel like we've gained control over our area. Once again, we're allowed to hunt particular predators that we weren't allowed to before. And I'll say that we're actually receiving a little bit of a recovery. Like I'm seeing big deer and big elk show back up in areas that I haven't seen big deer and big elk in years. And so there is like, although I say like back in the good old days, I'll say that I think the good old days are slightly coming back, but then we do have the issue with, you know, hunting pressure. There's just hunting has become more and more popular, which I'm actually happy about. You know, I I do, I mean, partially happy about because you need people to get into hunting to respect it and understand it. You know, like there's a power in numbers. However, I think just like me and, yeah, I think we like to have our hunting spots and it's sometimes like, dang it, when somebody else finds your new hunting sp- or a hunting spot you've had for years, you're like, oh, yeah. okay, but that's, that's, but it I'm, is, it's no different, right? Yeah. It's like, a catch 22, man. More hunters yeah. we have, the more money the outdoor industry has, which can then help maintain the populations of the animals that we like to hunt. Right. So, but yeah, you said that way better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> But selfishly, you know, I want my spots, man. I don't, yeah, come on, everybody hunt, but no one hunt where I hunt. Okay. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I want. <laughs> uh, yeah. And thing yeah. is, I, I'm, I'm a non-resident. So like, for me, people can be upset about non-residents because, but yet don't we sometimes travel? Like I'll travel oh, yeah. to Colorado and hunt. I'll hunt Utah. So I'm a non-resident. I'm hunting someone else's hunting grounds that they've hunted since they were kids. And so, yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you touched on uh, predator control and um, groups trying to bring in predators and that whole debacle here. Let's we, let's dig into that and uh, open up that can of worms a little bit and see how deep we can go. Oh there. boy, are, are you are you sure you're ready yeah, to but... open this up? Oh my. <laughs> well, it's changed a lot, man. And here's my okay. I'll just give you my two cents real quick and and. Um, let you dig in because I know you've got a lot of a lot of good stuff to say about, especially wolf hunting. Um, Colorado just just recently released you know wolves into Colorado, which I was against. Um, I know you know the theory behind it is helping the ecosystem, but uh, my opinion with wolves is they hunt for sport, and, and obviously they have to hunt to survive. But uh, and we, I think I just saw this on Instagram the other day is two wolves killed like what 140 it might have been on your guys' post 140 some sheep yeah yeah it might have been your guys' post actually i saw that and you know so wolves hunt for sport mm-hmm. and then you got these groups that thought think it would be cool to have reintroduce wolves wolves back into areas and they don't fully understand what they're doing in my opinion um but it has changed recently like you said like that battle has changed and one of the tools i think that has helped us a lot is a group called Howl for Wildlife. Have you heard of those guys? 
I have. Yes, yeah. I have. Um, mm-hmm. Where it's basically we're pulling together our our voices as hunters, and we can um, they, they advocate, right? So we basically what you do is you go and uh, you join Howl for Wildlife. If an issue comes up, you uh, basically just a couple clicks of the button, and they'll send letters to the governor or the, the the legislation in your state that need to see the letters, and they're bombarded with our voices on issues and it's really helped out a lot but tom what are you seeing man as far as predator stuff like wolves and ways that we can help with that yeah and and yeah that's a good organization the foundation for wildlife management is another one that's the one that actually has really helped idaho that's why idaho is so relaxed with their um with what we're able to do with wolves you know and wolf hunting um so that that organization the idea of behind the foundation for wildlife management, you know, they wanted to reward the wolf hunter because it is tough to hunt wolves. And it's actually, I'll say, I'll be honest in saying this. And it's one of those animals, like it's pretty easy to get discouraged hunting them because they're such a smart and intelligent animal. And, you know, I I'd say like out of any animal I've hunted, like they're very, very challenging. And so it can be a little irritating and it's hard to put in that much time to actually be able to kill a wolf. So the foundation needed a way to, you know, to reward people to be out in the woods. And so they did a, it's not a bounty, but it's more of a reimbursement program. So they'll pay you for your, you know, for your hunting expenses. Um, but you know, you can write off your gun, you can write off your pickup tires or anything like that. So if you kill a wolf, um, you can get us out up to a thousand bucks per wolf you kill in the state of Idaho. Now in Montana, they just finally opened it to, to where now they're getting 500 bucks a wolf. So anyone who kills a wolf in Montana gets 500 bucks, but you got to be a member of the foundation for wildlife management. And, but what's great with this foundation is it has grown a lot of money and it's been able to pull a lot of, you know, the, the, you know, they, they're able to pull around a little bit when it comes to making laws and regulations on wolf hunting, which is really great. And the funny thing is it's so, uh, sorry, I, I'm trying to not get too radical here. Um, Go as radical as you want, man. <laughs> I'm trying. I try. I try not to, but um, it's so hypocritical that these environmentalist groups are now saying, "Oh, we're getting politics involved, and we're doing this and that." You know, they're upset and how we're pulling it, but it's like, "Oh, we hypocrite! You have done the same exact thing. That's how we ended up with wolves here in the landscape in the first place. You refuse to listen to wildlife biologists. You refuse to listen to." science and you've just pushed your agenda right into our backyard and you know what i mean and that that's exactly we just all we did is we figured out their game and we're playing their game and now they're upset mm-hmm. that we figured out how they do it and you know what i mean and they do it and and this is what really irritates me is they're doing it and getting funds from people that don't know anything about wolves um one of the newer organizations that i try to keep tabs of these anti-groups and particular for wolves there's this one group now that has started and they're selling dog food in places of new york you know and all the big chains in new york and in big cities like that and in every sale their advertisement is that every sale goes to money in relisting the wolf putting it back on the endangered species list and if anybody knows the wolves in idaho we are way over objective right now they said, and they promised us that if we can get our wolf numbers to 150 wolves, we would have a hunting season. But when we hit the 150, they fought us in court and they put it back on the endangered species list. Now 
we're up to over 1500 wolves right now in Idaho, 1500. And that's way too many on our landscape, way too many on our landscape. And people are like, well, that doesn't seem like a lot, but if you think of how much one wolf can kill, that's a lot. That's too much. Oh yeah. And it, I have, and I think as, as sad as being, you know, where we live, I have personally witnessed the complete destruction a wolf can create. Now I will step back a little bit and tell you kind of, you're asking a little bit about our background with wolves. Um, so one of the first wolves I've ever seen was probably back in around 2005 or 2006. And um, I was, we were actually out mule deer hunting. And this was an area where we could sit up and you can glass across the canyon. And, and if you spent a full day there during the rut, you could see close to a dozen mule deer bucks just passing through. Um, well, this one day in particular, it was weird. There was nothing, nothing. Usually you'd at least see a doe or something, you know, on a bad day, but it was like, there was nothing We're like, man, this is weird. So we got up there. We hiked all the way in there. Just to look at this big canyon. There was nothing whatsoever. And I'm like, this is very unusual. And, and so finally, and you know, so I know people are going to mock this, but I, we were young and dumb. And so, but Trav's like, Hey, let's just shoot a rock across the Canyon and see if we can get something moving, you know? Sure. And, and so we those, shot, those once. are called deer drives back in uh, yeah. the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. were just trying to get something moving and out of the, you know, there's a bunch of timber patches. So we shoot and a wolf just darts out of the, I mean, we were probably 600 yards and I could see, I could not believe the size of this wolf. Cause you know, it was across the camera, man, that thing is huge. And it was just running down the We're like, what is that? <laughs> we were like trying to figure out in our head. What the, what is that thing? Just darting down the can. just a big black wolf just ran all the way down the ridge. But I'll tell you right now that that area is to this day has still never recovered. It's 15 years later and it just never came back. Like it was literally, it wasn't, it wasn't long. You know, the thing is, I think sometimes when, you know, if, let's say a mountain lion population gets out of control or a, or a bear population, you'll notice low, like over time, you'll see a deer, you know, deer decrease in number or something like that or diseases and stuff too. But with wolves, it's almost immediate. It's like, it's literally within two years, that area, you, it wasn't even huntable anymore. It went from an area where we'd see close to a dozen bucks a day during hunting season to like nothing we're not even going back there like there's not a like it's it's a waste of time and the and there's plenty of habitat like the habitat's great there's a lot of brush for the mule deer to feed on but there's just nothing there and and so we'd avoid that area but it just kept it kind of worked like a plague <clears throat> kind of worked like a plague so we you know in the area that we live we live next to three different mountain ranges so we just okay let's go to the next drainage so we'd hunt the next drainage and same thing. It just kept happening. It was just this vicious cycle, but the thing is they just reproduce so quickly. So you just have new packs being created, new territory is being claimed. Mm-hmm. And, and I would notice it was shed hunting too. So in the springtime, that's where I noticed the most damage, by the way, was in the springtime where I would go into a wintering ranch and there would just be carcasses laying everywhere. Like it, it felt like, you know, you, we talk, or uh, you probably watched Lion King as a kid, right. and you, you see the when they're in the hyena um, boneyard. Mm-hmm. That literally, there's some moments where I'm like, man, I feel like I'm 
in a little episode of Lion King here. With, <laughs> they're just it's the like a boneyard, just yeah. a boneyard, and we're just like similar to like the sheep situation, right? They were sitting ducks; they they had nowhere to move, and they just got slaughtered. Um, it's the same thing. Where like you get these mule deer, and they're stuck in this winter range; they can't go anywhere. Though it, you know, one thing I've noticed with mountain lions, they'll kill one animal out of there and then they kind of move on and they'll bury it and they'll come back later for it. But like wolves, they'll literally just pound it. Like they'll, they get in a wintering range and they'll just zigzag and just pound it and pound it and just knock it like, and they'll wipe out a whole wintering range in one winter. Yeah. And, and then it's, it's like, oh crap. Like I, I just lost a shed hunting spot. You know, you're picking rather than sheds, you're picking up deadheads. Deadheads. And, and then the next year you don't get anything. Yeah. And, and we lost a lot of our good quality, like animals, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's still animals reproducing and growing, but like, it seemed like a deer elk just couldn't make it five years without getting killed, you know? So we weren't getting the animals that were reaching their full potential and antler growth, but they did open a hunting season in 2011. And I felt like it's taken such a long time to finally figure them out. So here is, it's just like, like I said, you're hunting the most intelligent predator on the landscape. And, and so like, you know, even though there was just like tons of wolves in the woods, people weren't killing them the first couple of years, you know, like they were like getting out there, everybody was amped up to kill wolves, but they weren't killing them. They were there. You're, you're in tracks every day, but they're super fast. They don't stand around for a good shot. You know what I mean? They don't stand broadside. You can't stop a wolf. And in you, and you kill one wolf out of a pack and then won't come into a call again. And, and then trapping is another thing, but trapping is actually probably the been the most effective way. But again, wolves figure out trappers and even some of the best trappers I know to this day, they said their wolves don't, the wolves that they're after don't even come to eat their bait piles anymore. Cause they know, huh. um, but there's, I, even this, so uh, this is actually one of the, uh, the head of the foundation for wildlife management, Justin Webb, um, he was telling me that the wolves he's after that if they see like, you know, cause they run snowmobile trails all the time. So they'll at nighttime, they'll share the roads with people. They'll run those roads at night, but in the daytime, they won't typically run roads. Um, but like if he, cause like a trapper, usually when he pulls over, you know, his snowmobile to set a trap, you know what I mean? Sure. He said his wolves know that. So like anytime he pulls over the snowmobile to like, you know, to set a trap or something, he'll come back the next day and he'll see the wolf tracks running down the road. As soon as they see, as soon as those wolves see the snowmobile tracks pull over, they leave the road and completely leave. (laughs) Like they're, they know that if a snowmobile pulled over there on the side of the road, it's setting a trap. So they've learned that, you know what I mean? So wolves, I mean, I'm just trying to give you a taste of their intelligence and then, like I said, too, when it comes to calls, calling in wolves, you kill one wolf using a particular technique and you've, you've, you ruined it for other wolf hunters. Like you're, and it's great. I mean, I think every wolf counts, right? You kill a wolf, you've saved about 20 elk that year. So you should pat yourself on at the least. back. Yeah. At least. But, you know, I think the thing is, it's the biggest issue is people don't know how to get in there and just be effective in killing. They'll kill one and then just, then and it just educates the rest of the pack. Mm. And then they won't come into a call again. Or sometimes that's the same with trapping too. If you, 
if you if you're not effective on that trap line and you only catch one out of the group the rest of the group kind of figures out okay well obviously this is a danger zone and so they'll sometimes they'll still go in there to get bait but they're just a little bit more careful um it just really depends on the wolf and so it's just sometimes like i mean well here's another just show a little bit more of some intelligence so sometimes like one of the alpha males or alpha females will go into the bait site and find the best route to get in without getting hooked and then after she'll go in and find the best route then all the wolves will take that route to go in there to get bait you know they they figure that out yeah they're they're smart critter they and they'll hang out in areas like where there's just the least amount of hunting or just people activity in general um but anyways um it's just been such an ongoing battle with these environmentalist groups but i'm super grateful that finally we're getting you know ahead of it we're figuring out wolves um you know they used to be one you know several steps ahead of us now we're, i feel like we have some very skilled trappers uh, between myself and three other really skilled trappers i feel like just our area in general is we've knocked the wolves down a tremendous amount and and we're seeing that like i said we, we're seeing animals come back yeah. that is that's for sure and i i fear for colorado and what they're about to experience oh. <laughs> oh man and uh, <laughs> you guys listening um these guys tom and and all the guys with stuck in a rut they just actually released a program or a online course on wolf hunting. Isn't that right? Yeah. So yes. we're, we're, if they, if someone wants to learn how to wolf hunt better, where do they find that? So it's wolfhuntingmasterclass.com. I try to make it as simple as I could so people can find it. And it's a very thorough course, not just in how to find and kill wolves, but how to do it effectively too, you know, cause um, to me, there's a, a lot of people that finally get the wolf bug, make a lot of mistakes. And I was there too. I've, I have wised up a lot of wolves that I wish I didn't. And, and so for me, I, I want to teach everybody how to avoid those mistakes and wisen up wolves and the, you know, to be able to, from finding the wolves, the wolf pack, understanding and learning about wolves. I think that's a big thing too, is, is learning and understanding the wolf. It, I will, I do see why people love wolves so much and they are a big time, a family unit and the way they vocalize amongst each other is just unreal and how they're able to communicate. I don't know of any animal that can do that. I know, I know elk have a very complex language, but at the same time, nothing compared to the wolf, nothing compared to the wolf. Like they can, they can communicate to each other, like, and be far apart from each other on a hunt. You know what I mean? And strategize on a hunt. Like it's just, it's crazy to understand that. But like for me, that was probably the hardest thing too to know is like I'm calling in wolves and they're 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 howling, they're barking at me. And I didn't know what these sounds meant. And and so over time I figured out what these sounds are. So I I do that's another thing I teach on the course is teaching people. Um, all right. So if you hear this sound, this is what it means, so on and so forth. And, you know, and then I also share several different scenarios that you should put yourself into. Like if the wolves are doing this, do that, you know? So for me, 
you know, and I'm not just using my own knowledge, but I'm using the knowledge of other experienced wolf hunters and trappers. And I've actually got involved other experienced wolf hunters on the course too. So I'm not the only one talking and teaching people how to wolf hunt. I'm trying to get all the knowledge of some of the best wolf hunters that I know, because literally, literally, you know, we, we talked about elk being 10% success rate. You know what wolves are in Idaho? The success rate of a wolf hunter? I'm assuming it's a lot lower. <laughs> under It's under 1%. Holy cow. Yeah. Under 1%. We have a lot of wolves. So why is it under 1%? Well, it's, it's their intelligence and your, um, but for me, I am, I'm killing wolves every year. So you can consider that, I guess, as 100%, right? I buy multiple wolf tags more than I probably need but I never want to be in a situation where I have to stop shooting, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I, I buy enough to where I'm like, okay. So, and I almost, I mean, I almost like last year I killed four in one, you know, and just, it was like 40 seconds. Like it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And I had five tags. I'm like, you know what? I probably should be carrying a little bit more than five tags. Cause like, you know what I mean? What if I, what if there was six standing there? Right. Like I would have, I would have had let one go. Um, and I never want to have to break the rules either. I know people say, shoot, shovel, shut up. But I'm like, you know what? We don't have to break rules. We can buy tags. Let's do yeah. things by the law. Let's follow the law. And, and I think that also too shows these environmentalist groups that we are responsible hunters and we're not going to be out poaching stuff. We, mm-hmm. We want to do things by the book. We want to do things the right way. And we just want to manage a predator. And I do like, and in, in now starting to see the wildlife come back. I do, I am not as much of the kill every wolf. And well, I do, I am very aggressive with killing wolves, but at the same time, I don't feel like wolves are ever going to leave our ecosystem. They're not going to leave our landscape. But I have noticed that if you keep the numbers down just enough, our wildlife come back and our goal is not to extinct the wolf again. It's just to keep the numbers to a manageable level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just like in any predator, you're just trying to manage them. So the other prey can be managed also. And my, Mm -hmm. so my two cents on, on wolves is, uh, you know, I think they're a very cool animal. Obviously they're super intelligent, you know, listening to you, Tom, talk about them too. Mm -hmm. But, the the killing for the, the killing to kill is where i'm like yeah that's not good and i know like obviously you know raising a pack they have to teach the young how to kill and that's a lot of it too but uh you know if they kill just to sustain great but you know 140 sheep just because they're sitting ducks or you know and if that's what they're doing to other prey and other animals man that's just that's not cool in my eyes. And that's why we definitely got to manage the population. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and it, it's not a fluke, you know, some people say, Oh, that was just a fluke situation, but no, this has happened multiple times. I, I mean, I use the example of a wintering range mm-hmm. where they've killed excessive amount. Um, and a lot of times they just, they'll, they'll leave animals wounded. So one of my good friends recently found a wolf, or a wolf killed like an, an elk dead where the wolves ripped out the back um, tendons out of the back of the leg 
and they must have never caught back up to the elk. They just like they ripped it out and the elk got away and the wolves are like, OK, and he said he fought. He was following the wolves and the blood trail of the elk. Then the wolves finally just gave up and left the mountain. And well, that elk, he followed the elk and he followed it till it died and it bled out. But it's just like, that's a wasted elk right there. And then he said, so he set a waypoint. He's like, I'll come back and check out, you know, three weeks later, see if wolves come back. They never did. They never came back to check that kill. Um, But yeah, I mean, multiple, multiple occasions in the wintertime, the animals are very dependent on their wintering ranges as well. They'll use roads too to travel. Moose will do that. Um, It's just easier to travel on a road that, you know, snowmobile or is packed down. And so wolves will, take down the moose and you'll find, you know, in the wintertime, you'll find moose dead on the side of the road on the snowmobile, you know, on the side of the snowmobile road um, where they'll just kill the moose, they'll leave. And, you know, and even if the wolves do end up coming back, the crows got it cleaned up by then. You know what I mean? They're just very, they're very sloppy. They're very (laughs) sloppy killer. And I mean, they're, when it comes to finding and killing the animal, I feel like they're, they got the, the system work really well, but when it comes to like preserving meat, like a, like a mountain lion would or a grizzly bear, you know, they bury their kill They're They'll come back and, and hit it multiple times later while a wolf just kills. And if they can find more to eat, they won't come back to the kill, but if they can't find more to eat, they'll come back. You know what I mean? They'll kill, they'll get a bite or two and then they go. And I, and I've seen multiple times where carcasses are just left with a couple bites. And I wish, I wish, and I think the environmentalist group, you know, we, we say like, you know, I wish they'd educate themselves. They just choose not to like, I wish they would look at this and say, okay, like we kind of see the issue, but they just completely erase. That. They don't even try to acknowledge that even being a thing. And they say, we're lying. It's like, well, come here. I'll, I'll show you. Yeah. I, it's, it's right here. It's, it's in right my here. backyard. Thanks a it's lot. Right by my, the way. <laughs> yeah yeah and and for me like i want predators on their landscape i want all animals on our landscape that are meant to be here um but i want them managed mountain lions you know you don't have to be so aggressive because they don't reproduce as quickly as a wolf same thing with bears too right like i'm upset that our, we're not allowed to hunt grizzlies our grizzly bear population it has been proven that is while that biologists have said they're not endangered anymore but they're still on the list because of the environmentalist groups, right? It's been on and off. And so we got, we have grizzlies right now getting into our friends, chicken coops and stuff as we speak. It's happening right now, this spring, and we can't do anything about it. And, you know, we just want to manage our predators. We're not trying, we don't want to extinct them. We just want to manage them to an extent to where we don't have these conflicts. And it's same thing with wildlife too. There's a, the only group of caribou in Idaho got um, is completely extinct, by the way, now. And, but the before that, it's like, how did that caribou become extinct? And if you look back, they first of all made that same area that the last 12 caribou were alive, they made it a grizzly bear recovery zone. Oh, geez. So, okay, why? <laughs> You know, they're trying. So first of all, they were trying to shut down any public access for people to be back there because it's harming the caribou habitat and harming the caribou in general. Right. So they shut down logging. They've shut down road access. They've done it all. Well, then they made it a grizzly bear recovery zone. 
And then now they have wolves. Well, and at the time, you know, in the day, you know, in the, like I was telling you around 2008, 2009, the wolf pack moved into that area about roughly, and they were still in the endangered species. So you couldn't hunt wolves either. So how do you expect this caribou herd to survive? There's no way. Absolutely. Way. No way. And, and, and they're still, even now that they're extinct, they're officially extinct. They're trying to blame everything but what really happened. And, and like I said, as a local, we've seen it. We understand what was the cause of it. But these groups come up and they're like, oh, it's climate change, this, it's that. And, and then now they're still trying to shut it down for caribou habitat. It's like, oh, it's like there may be a chance we want to bring caribou back in there. So let's still keep it shut down. And it's like they're not right. there. <laughs> what about not the, uh, the grizz and the wolves that live there now <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah it's it's sickening um that you know we don't have that control to manage particular species i mean as of right now i'm grateful we're managing the wolf but we still don't have access to manage the grizzly um, mountain lions i mean we don't i would say we have mountain lions on a very good well, I actually think we don't even have a lot of mountain lions like we used to. So, um, although some may try blaming things on mountain lions, I really don't think they're that much of an issue. Um, we, they're a little bit too laxed on the hunting season there. Um, some may like that, some may not, but you can, you literally can buy a mountain lion tag and come hunt here with towns, you know, and there's no quota. And so I, I'm a little biased with that. You know, I think there should be a quota, but I mean, that just shows, I mean, but for me, I'm just trying to show people that, look, I'm not out to try to extinct the predator. Like I'm just here to manage the predator. I do. I'm all right with them being in our landscape, but let's try to manage them to an extent. And the reason why we're so aggressive with wolves is because they reproduce really quickly. Um, what a really good friend of ours who has, um, he's up to between him and his son, he's up to 90 wolves here. That's a lot. <laughs> he's killed 90 wolves. Holy God. Yeah. And one of the areas that he traps, he'll literally trap out every single member of the pack. But if all it takes is a breeding pair, you get two wolves that move in to the new territory. Boom. They get a litter of six pups. You got yourself a pack again. <laughs> that quick. <laughs> that quick. One spring. Yeah. Yep. It's not like a mountain lion, you know, like if a mountain lion population is low or, or even the grizzly bear population is low, it takes a little time. They don't, they're, they don't have litters. They have, you know, one or two here and there and they don't reproduce as quick. So, you know, if you're allowed to hunt grizzlies, for example, it wouldn't be like everybody can get a grizzly bear tag. You know what I mean? But it would just be nice to have something, just something where we can manage at least the problem bears and some of the ones that do have yeah that we're, we're fighting in the mountains too i mean problems and not you know ones that come down to the valley have issues but like the ones that disturb camps right and they're still and this is an issue too that like they'll take grizzlies out of glacier national park and drop them up here like they're like oh this is a problem bear you know like let's get it out of the park <laughs> Oh, let's drop it up here. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> There's a problem bear there. <laughs> they, they say once a problem bear, always a problem bear. So, mm -hmm. um, 
but yeah, the, these are the issues that we deal with, but we're definitely receiving a little bit of recovery. And I see the night and day difference. I'll go to places like Colorado and Utah and hunt. And although like, I'll, you know, some people try blaming the hunting pressure up here, but I'll go to those places. Like you said, the pumpkin patch and the numbers of wildlife, mule deer and elk far greater than here, far greater. And the thing is, the reality is we used to have those numbers. And so I do know for a fact that the wolf is the one to blame, you mm-hmm. know, I, it is, I, 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 yep. I we witnessed it. And I always try to remind people too, well, there's a lot of new move-ins here and they don't know that they don't know any different because they think this is normal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this population, if we see 30 elk in a field, that's normal. And it's like, no, that's not normal. We used to have 300 elk in that, that would come in winter in that field. Yeah. And now there's 30. That's not normal. That, that 300 elk covers six drainages, you know, when the snow leaves and they go up in the mountains that cover six drainages you know you got 30 elk that cover six drainages <laughs> and i'm talking big drainages you know what i mean yeah um and so that's yeah so it's sure you see elk it doesn't mean that their numbers are fine you know yeah. um like i said you just put me on a soapbox i'll stop hey man no worries dude <laughs> it's good information man like um you yeah know, it's information that people need to know and especially the knowledge yeah. you guys have of hunting wolves too. And I'm nervous for Colorado. Obviously that's my home state and that's where I hunt. That's my backyard. And now we have yeah. introduction of wolves and I don't know how many years it's going to take for it to get out of hand. And hopefully we have a hunting season at some point too. Yeah. You still got some time. So enjoy the moments. Enjoy killing yeah. the big mealies and big bulls you guys still have. <laughs> it's, it's coming. Yeah, It's coming. <laughs> it takes time for those packs to really get big, but and I tell you what, if a pack gets over 12, that's like destruction you've never seen. Really? You, you don't want them to get that big. No. Yeah. I feel like if you can knock, you can knock them down to where like, there's like four and you start seeing some animals come back. You just got to really keep the pressure on them to where the wolves are always behind them. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just think, no, you're not the only one hunting this elk, buddy yeah <laughs> stay out <laughs> but yeah uh, it's fun i yeah and, and that's why i got into it you know is because of i want the old days to come back you know i experienced the greatest days moose oh my gosh we had so great great moose here like how, how's the moose population in colorado by the way you know my opinion is super high i see a ton of moose when i'm out hunting. awesome I see a ton that do they ever mess with you when you're trying to bugle elk at all? No, not or? not usually. I haven't had okay. them mess with me. Um, you know, obviously they're not scared of that. my in my account encounters with moose. They can give a crap less if I'm there, and and okay. sometimes they get curious and want to come up and see what I'm doing. <laughs> you <know>? Right. So, <laughs> have you had a mess with you? Oh, just like well, when we had high numbers of elk and moose you know in my younger years the moose would come in to chase off like they don't like elk here like they're just absolutely like if there's an elk bugling you would hear a moose in the background just go oh 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 and you go and chase the elk out of the drainage like he's just like this is my territory well they do that to us too we're trying to bugle in a bull elk all of a sudden get a moose just come out of the canyon oh 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 just come up and try chasing us off and we're sitting there trying to wave the dang moose off like you know like we you know if it was me dad and travis like dad and travis would be setting up to to try to call on the elk and then they'd call me 
chase that bull moose out of the way, you know, like it's going to mess, it's going to F up the hunt. So I go in there and I, (laughs) and you just see this moose just looking at you like this big eyes. They're just like, um, okay, I'll get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I actually have a moose. Yeah. I have a moose hunt coming up here in Canada this year. So I'm excited that to do that. Oh, exciting. Are you, are you, what area or, or would you rather keep it? No, it's, it's, a, it's a Saskatchewan and, uh, Oh, cool. Uh, archery yeah. hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it because obviously, you know, to draw a moose tag in Colorado is like a once in a lifetime thing. So I'm still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I drew one time and I'm really in Idaho and I made the mistake and passing up a big one. Um, we, Again, I didn't know how good we had it until we lost it, but we had some big moose where we lived. And um, we have a lot of sheds still to prove it. Travis, actually, I don't know if you know, so my brother Travis has the world's largest Shiraz moose sheds. No world's, kidding. not state. World's. The world's largest, yeah. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've defined tons of moose paddles, and they were all like lots of Boone and Crockett size and still have them to this day. Thankfully, we, you know, I know a lot of shed hunters sell their sheds, and for mm-hmm. us, we keep the big ones. and. So we still got a pile of big ones of like, and it's the show like, Hey, this is what we used. This was our quality. And there's still a couple out, but not, not near the numbers. I remember a day after high school, Travis and I walked, you know, we had two hours before dark. We did a shed hunt. We came out with more than we can carry. And I think it was like 13, 13 moose paddles in just one day fresh. And there was multiple days like that, but I was just one of the more memorable ones before the wolves came through. Um, but anyways, yeah, the quality was great. Seems like that's the first to go though with wolves is the moose, moose. the wolves go after the dumbest and the moose seem to be, they're very, they stand their ground. They don't run off and they're the first to go elk are a little bit better at adapting, but they still have issues. Right. So you'll like for us, we saw them kind of hanging out in the cliffs. The ones that didn't pull to the valley would actually climb up in the, get in the cliffs with the mountain goats. So here we are calling an elk in like the cliffs <laughs> yeah. from the mountain goats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we're just like, we literally, so the one, yeah, the one I killed, it was like a three, it was like a three fifteen class bull. Um, nice on public land, you know, with my bow and we're sitting there getting this bull worked up and all of a sudden a mountain goat walked past us from like, it was just like the new normal before they would go in those big, you know, those big basins where it was like kind of swampy where they can wallow and stuff and get themselves worked up. Mm-hmm. But then they just kind of, they kind of just hung out in the cliffs and they create their own routes. And I mean, some of those big bulls, I mean, they, they do figure out how to survive wolves and, right. and, and that you'll just, and when you hunt them, you realize, wow, okay, I can see why you're still alive here. <laughs> you're pretty skittish. Yeah. Well, and they get pushed way up into the high hills and in the yeah. up, up with the mountain goats, man. So, yeah. 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 And so they, they found, they find out how to survive and they find the routes too. I think they figure that out with people too. They find the, you know, hunting pressure. They find the routes of people. They find the wolves have routes. Mm-hmm. Um, I killed a big, it was a 338 class bull in 2019. And he was a nine-year-old bull. No, was he nine? I just, I got him age. And he was either nine or eight. I think he was eight, actually. Sorry. I think I, because I got him aged at Madison Lab. So he was eight years old. But I was thinking to myself, how did he outlive wolves? Eight years. Eight years. 
but he lived like he actually lived below like those are the wolves like I, when i see them there they rise above like a, it was kind of the opposite we're on top of the mountain it was actually kind of flat flattened out there and that's where the wolves run well when you get about halfway down the mountain it actually goes to straight cliffs hmm. and he lived in those and that's where he lived is in there and he pulled the cows in there too the cows didn't like being in there but when he would get the herd he'd pull them in those cliffs to bed down yeah. and then he'd just sit up on the edge of the cliff and he'd just look over the valley and like he was a, and I, the reason why I got him age is I knew he was, he had some age to him because I had his sheds three years and he hasn't grown an inch. I'm like, man, he's, he's, he's got it. He's at his peak. He's not getting bigger. And, and so I, I was curious with the age. And so, yeah, eight, which I would have, I mean, wouldn't you think that an eight year old would still grow a little bit, maybe? And I don't, I mean, I guess it all depends on where, you know, this environment he's living in nutrients, stuff like that. But you would think, yeah, you still got a little growth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, but I'm glad I got him. Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? How was last hunting season? Oh, let's see. Uh, last year, last year, I did a lot of guiding last year for elk. I uh, had an archery hunter had a, I actually took my mom on her first elk hunt, which was nice. f- fantastic. I mean, the hunting itself wasn't amazing, but the experience was fantastic. Uh, and that's an episode. I have an episode up with her. Um, but you know, Hey, I'm absolutely obsessed with hunting. I'm going to go on as many hunts as possible. The spring, this spring mm-hmm. was great. I went to Hawaii and, uh, shot a couple of mouflon sheep on the big Island of Hawaii and then I went oh, to nice. Mexico and, and shot a uh, ghoul's turkey in Mexico. And then right after Mexico, I went to Canada and shot a black bear in Canada. So uh, the spring was oh, great nice. for me. Yeah. Right on. I'm all about just like, whacking I want to go on as, Yeah, whacking and stacking. I'm all about, I just want to go on as many <laughs> adventures as possible, hunting adventures as possible. That's, that's I just want to go experience everything, you know, so. Uh, mm-hmm. And at some point. Have you had a chance? Yeah. Have you had a chance to hunt Alaska at all? I, dude, I haven't. That is like on the top of my bucket list is to hunt Alaska. I'm trying to see, figure out a way to do it without yeah. spending $15,000 to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, need, I need to find a pilot. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. We, when Travis and I first got into it, and this was before we knew Adam, um, I, I'm sure you, you, I'm, I assume, you know, Adam and Tana, right? My, I've seen some, them. My brother. Yes. And I. Well, and which brings mm-hmm. me to a question. So uh, you and Travis, uh, who's yeah. so, so stuck in the rut um, is yeah. who all makes up stuck in the rut? Is it you, Travis? So, Travis, and- so it's, it's myself, Travis, Adam, who's my brother-in-law, Tana's my sister. And then my little brother, Trevor, it's just pretty much the family. It started off with, you know, Travis is the owner of stuck in the rut. It started with family and friends, and then it just kind of over time just went to family. Now we're just, it's everything in the family. And then every so often, you know, we'll hunt with a friend and kill something here and there, but um, we wouldn't consider them like a team member. Right. But, but yeah, that's makes up stuck in the rut. Now, although Travis is the owner, um, I deal with probably most of stuck in rut now. Um and then I think what it was, was so Travis, you know, with his job and his occupation, he obviously makes way more with building than he does with the hunting industry. And so for him, 
he's like, I'm just going to still do it as a hobby. I still own stuck and rep, but he's like, for me, yeah, I make way more money building houses. And so, so for me, I was like, well, I still see a lot of potential stuck and rut. So I, I kind of just took over the the whole social media side of things from editing for YouTube, from Instagram, everything. And so I've dealt with that. And then Tan and Adam have helped with that too. And Travis is finally getting back. You know, I think everybody's seen potential with it now to where now we're looking at more of a business side than as a hobby side, you know what I mean? And so um, as of the past couple of years, we've just gotten way more attention than we were expecting. And so we're like, okay, we need to, we need to do something with this. You know And I mean? We would love, I think everybody's dream is to, is to do their hobby for a living. If it's soccer, if it's football, anything for us, it's hunting. Hunting is our passion. It's our obsession. If we can do it for a living, it'd be great. And just as of right now, it still wouldn't consider it as like, you know, we can't just drop our jobs and just go full-time in the hunting it's helping it's helping with paying the bills which is great but we still have to keep our day jobs you know what i mean yep yep and i'm in the situation where i'm trying to make this my living it's it's not 100 there yet i'm trying not to get a day job <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah yeah and we'll see how this year goes but um but yeah we can if you can make something you're uh, that you love to do is as a way to pay the bills and still love to do it that's kind of the ultimate goal and you guys are on uh youtube you have a big youtube following you guys are in, on instagram um mm-hmm. any other platforms you guys are on oh i uh so i started a tiktok as a joke and it's up to 198,000 followers right now <laughs> holy cow man <laughs> That's great. So you just repurpose all the old content and then and put it. Yeah, on I was just like, yeah. I have a bunch of really cool clips over the years. You know what I mean? Where I just like, oh, I'll throw this clip and I'll throw that clip in. But I'm always fighting TikTok because I kid you not, I got flagged for packing it. Well, the elk head was even covered in my pack, so you couldn't even see the elk head. Mm. It's just the rack, and I'm walking up the hill. They they took it down. You know they they take down sheds for goodness sake. If I was packing out a shed. TikTok takes it down and then I have to, yeah. And then they kind of do like, you know, if you probably heard of the shadow ban where all of a sudden they don't get your content out there. Yes. And so, so con, so TikTok is kind of annoying and I have my moments where I just, I, I won't take, do any TikTok for a month. I'm just like, screw TikTok. And then I'll, I'll finally post some stuff in it again. And if it starts getting traction again, then I'll start focusing on it. Cause it does, it's brought in a bunch of new people that that haven't followed us before or haven't found out about us before and and the issue with tiktok though too is the clips are so short that you can't really explain what's going on mm-hmm. and so people yeah i think it's just the natural man always assumes the worst and i'll give a prime example so tana was packing a moose on her back or rack mm-hmm. and you know how many people uh, came on there like it was literally it was i'm not even saying 100 it was a thousand over a thousand comments saying like you're gonna get shot keep carrying the rack like that and we're just people don't realize how isolated that area was like how little people like the closest person is probably 20 miles away you know what i mean and and it's the same with idaho too like you know idaho we pack our racks most of the time we try packing them that racks facing down 
but when you're dealing with a brush that's chest high, oh yeah, you can't you can't pack racks facing down. You have to pack them facing up. But if you're in an area that's super isolated and you're you're the only person back there, like you're gonna be okay. <laughs> um, now I, I understand there's people that are like, Oh, you just never know though. And it's like, but really though, there's only one place to land a plane and we're there. Like there's no one, like you can't hike there. There's it's marsh. You can't get a four wheeler. You can't get horses. Like there's nowhere literally to get the there. only people there. There's nowhere to get there. And yeah. so, and so it's people don't understand that. I mean, our, we're like in areas like that, our biggest fear is a bear. If anything, a bear mistakes us as a moose and toast you know and so that's that's the worry like that you know people in areas like that's the least our least worry but i will say about idaho you know like where we're hunting now like this was the first year i'm like oh shoot i think i need to be wearing blaze orange now like it's pretty out of control there's too many trigger happy people i'm worried about a wolf hunting too just like howling oh there's so many people that are just like everybody's so trigger happy about killing wolves and it's like yeah, you have to be, Ooh. <laughs> be careful. But that's, I was going to. Oh, sorry. What no, yeah, I was going to say, I could. I don't care if I harvest an animal or like even see that many animals. But if I can be somewhere where I don't see any people, <laughs> I'm super happy. You know, like when I go yeah. hunting, I just don't want to see other people. I just want to be up there by myself on a mountain. So I always try to like go places where most people don't want to go, or it's hard to get to, or. You know, I just don't want to see other people when I'm out hunting. So that's why I really want to need to get to Alaska and get in. And that's the remote of the remotes right there. Right. So that yeah. would, that's definitely on the top that, of my list. Yeah. And we've tra- Travis and I over time. So this is before we met Adam and Tana. We, we would do the whole drive. We drive all the way to Alaska and, and hunt caribou and moose. You can do that. You can hunt caribou and moose in Alaska without an outfitter, which is nice. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, and I know that with inflation right now, it's going to be, it's way different, but the cheapest I ever was, you know, after the trip was over food, travel, everything, my cheapest moose hunt was three grand, 3,500 bucks. And I killed a, that's not bad at all. If you can get it under five, you're like, you're good. Oh yeah. Um, but we've had some mat major breakdowns with pickups and those get costly. And so <laughs> you, so, I mean, over time we were learning, like we, like every, every trip we're like, how can we budget better than the last one? You know what I mean? And then if you do find a plane to fly out, we would budget like, you know, well, how many times to fly out? Cause you can either hire, you know, somebody to fly you in the remote spot of Alaska, but then they fly you out. They can't fit all your gear and food. And so you're sitting there like, you know, that one trip Travis and I did, we're like, we need to do it all in one flight. So we were just like, we got a lot of, you know, um, mountain houses at the time. This was before peak refuel came out. Um, but we, we just like stacked, we pushed up every potato in every corner of that plane, trying <laughs> to get as much uh, in there. And it was nice. Cause we literally, what was neat about that hunt is we killed them. I killed a moose right off the bat. It was day two of the hunt. And so we were eating steaks almost every night after that. And then we, we had steak and potatoes and then we lived, we were camped right next to a lake where we had the whole place to ourselves and the pike were just overpopulated in that lake. I kid you not. You could throw anything in that lake and a pike would grab it. And (laughs) 
And so like, we grabbed this, we're like, we didn't even, we, we grabbed the fishing pole cause we knew we were going to be landing on a lake, but we had no clue that it was pike. Like, shoot. We like, we got a little trout pole with four pound test. <laughs> <laughs> and so we made a little leader, like just like some, some, uh, parachute cord that we had and, and a spinner and that, that, and we just put the, um, test really light, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, so we're the drag really light, you know what I yeah. mean? So we, you're just sitting there and you just fight a pike for like 30 minutes. And I've never broke the line the whole trip, which is amazing. We caught tons of pike. So we were eating pike. Oh yeah. Rice. We, we packed a lot of rice too. So it's like potatoes and rice. And, and we never touched our, our mountain houses. Like we were eating um, fish and rice and we killed some grouse. And so we were eating, you know, it was like surf and yeah. turf. And yeah. yeah. So we were living. That was kind of nice because we were like, we had a lot of food that off the land there. You always want to prepare for the worst, mm. but we were, we, there was probably, I would say, I've been on a lot of uncomfortable hunts in Alaska, but this was the most comfortable hunt we've been on. And I think we stayed there. It was a total of 12 days at that camp. And those was one of those times, like one of those very few times where you could have stayed another 20 days. So you're just enjoying, it was just so enjoyable. That I was like, man, I could stay here another 20 days if I had to. You, Just, you guys must I, have good weather when you're there too. And the weather wasn't incredible for Alaska. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's some, some Alaska. I've had the opposite too. Um, and it was one of the earlier times, one of my first moose hunts I did Alaska where it downpoured. We killed three moose, three moose in nine days. And it downpoured day in and day out and you just threw on your wet clothes every day to go back out in the woods and it was that was the most miserable hunt i've ever been on it was just, well no i guess i lied there i've been <laughs> i've been on a really bad bell sheep hunt too so um i won't get into that but that was a bad <laughs> one but yeah but alaska i'd say if the bears aren't going to kill you it's the weather the weather is horrible so always be prepared with that um, the only real gear that we've seen that can handle Alaska weather is QU. QU is incredible for Alaska yeah. and we swear by it, Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. And then the, the whole road that we did that for caribou, that was fun. Just, yeah. would you, you recommend, uh, like, would you still recommend the whole road for caribou or do you think it's, is there a lot of people on it? There's a lot of people on it, but it's like what you said, you, if you literally walk, a couple miles off the road everybody hunts from the road right and and there's like well there's a section where there's if you go five miles out you can hunt with the rifle right but anything from the road on is bow only if you go two miles with a bow and arrow in your hand you're the only person chasing those caribou <laughs> and if you hit the migration right it is oh my gosh you talked about like having action the most action of my life. And I was talking, it was the first, and we, we hit it right where it was the first time we ever did this hunt. We were seeing a thousand caribou a day. Holy and, and I was so afraid of like not being able to fill my tag. Cause I was just, I just packed a bow. I was like, there's nowhere to hide. How am I supposed to hide to kill a caribou? And I think I got so antsy that when we got out of the rig, we're just like, we're not even going to set up tent. Like there's just, we're seeing caribou run everywhere. Let's just get out and just start running in the tundra. We got out and run in the tundra and this caribou, this bull looks at me and starts running toward us. And so I get down 
And I just pulled back my bow and he, he ran in curious looking like walked up the 40 yards and I stuck it. <laughs> I was like, uh, that was, I was like, now my hunt's over like <laughs> yeah. 40, like the first 40 minutes of the hunt and my hunt was over. So the rest of the time I'm like, I guess I'm, I'm the cameraman of the trip. And so then, but it was just so fun. We'd watch these bulls. You think you want to go with those groups, but you don't like the big, you see like a big group. I mean, I mean, you're seeing a thousand caribou a day. You were seeing like a group of 50 here, a group of hundred there, a group of 20 there. And it just add up to a thousand. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So it wasn't like what you see in the discovery channel where the, the ground is just dotted <laughs> like of a right. thousand caribou at one time. It's like, there's like several groups just moving through, but you're, what was so fun is you would just, you'd mess up a stock. Let's say you're trying to belly crawl to a bull that's bedded down. But when you get about, you're getting right to the range to shoot, then he gets up and starts moving and you can't get him to stop. Like, oh, that's over. But he's like, oh, well, there's another one there. Let's try spot and stalking that one. And it was just all day spot and stock. I mean, your belt, you're just, your, your belly is just wet for just crawling on the crawling. tundra because there was nowhere <laughs> to hide. So you just, you get, you'd find a bull where the wind was right and he was looking away from you and you'd, they have like this, uh, here we have this range because there's a lot of predators in Alaska. So here we have this safe range of like 150 yards where they're like, they won't run from you. Right. So you can at least get to about 150 before you start to like, okay, we probably need to start crawling now. You know, like you but, can pretty much. Do you guys try like decoying or anything? We want to. Um, so there was, I think, I think the flags I think they out, I don't remember. I think they outlawed the flagging. Cause like some people oh. would do a flag and then they get down and the caribou would come in and curious. Yeah. Um, but the decoys, uh, Mon I think Montana decoy, do they make one? The only decoys I've seen look horrible. I'm like, I haven't seen a good caribou <laughs> decoy. Yeah. If they can make one like a frontal and you, in a little bit of a rack, I think you got the perfect decoy with the colorations. Right. I almost made one because I think they would come in curious. We've, We've had them do it multiple times, but they'll just come in to check you out. There was one that I really wanted to kill, but there was a giant, like a giant, another, this was a different time. So by the way, I, I should, I should emphasize. So that a different time we went to do the whole road hunt again, we've made, let's see how many times we've done that hunt three times. So three total times we did that haul road. First time was incredible. Second time we missed the migration. We were just like, we were in the dead spot. And, and the group I was with was like getting really discouraged quick. And I was like, we just got, if we wait this out for two weeks, I think we'll catch another group moving through. And, but nobody had the patience to wait. So um, it ended up being a bust. That was hard. <laughs> Go all the way the long road. And yeah. But then, then the following year from that, um, then, then we got, it was like not the strongest migration, but we were seeing caribou. And then I just, I saw an absolute giant in the distance. And I told Chad, I'm like, if I can kill that thing, he's getting head mounted, you know, like he's, he's a big bull. And, and so we worked on that one, went over there and there was a, another big one. He came, he literally came in curious sauce. We got down in the tundra and he came running in to check us out. And did a circle around us about 30 yards. I could have stuck him several times with the bow, but it's like, nah, you had your heart big set, guy man. over there. 
Yeah. As my heart said, <laughs> that big one. And I did get, I did end up getting that big one and he's, yeah, he's, he's a dandy. <laughs> so I was just like, I, and I'm like, I like, we've seen thousands of caribou, you know? And I'm like, I've never seen one that size. So I'm like, we, it's like, if we kill that thing, I'm mounting it. And I like they're they're a lot lighter than an elk too. So their rack could be about the size of an elk, but their bodies are so light. It's like packing a mule deer. I'd say like a big mule deer body. And so two guys can comfortably, if you're with two guys, you can comfortably walk off the tundra with a debone caribou. Yeah. You know, nice man. It's like, yeah, so that's great. I, yeah, I recommend it. If you're ever wanting to hunt Alaska, there's definitely ways to get around the cost of guides um, and just getting the experience, at least the taste of Alaska. Yeah. But you, you just got to put the biggest, the tags are the cheapest part of the hunt. It's not about buying the tags. It's, it's about getting there getting there, getting all your gear there, and then bringing everything back. That's going to be your biggest cost of the Alaska trip. Yep. Yep. That's what mm-hmm. I've heard. Yeah. And in, mm-hmm. and I've thought about the whole road hunt a few times. Um, so maybe I'll do that to start with, but I, man, I just really like the idea of being flown into some remote area and mm-hmm. just hanging for, you know, 10 days. That's just, yeah. yeah. But well, the, and and there's some good flight. I think there is a flight service up there still going. It used to be, it used to be called Hap. Well, like in it was in Happy Valley up there. There was a flight service, but I think there's a different one now. But if what they'll do is they'll fly you into the migration, which is great. And so, oh, that's great. and so you're remote. They fly you into the migration, and then so you're kind of in the center of it, and you're it's pretty much guaranteed, like. The, the, the rule is you can't shoot same day airborne. So if you, if you right. fly in, you can't shoot anything that day. Next day though, have at it, go to town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to pick your brain after this on, on all that good stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one to do. Cool. All right, Tom, let's, mm-hmm. I think we're, let's wrap up this uh, podcast, man. I really appreciate your time and, and you guys listening with a lot of cool, a lot of cool information on wolves and predator hunting and a little bit of Alaska stuff. So um yeah and uh again where you know anybody new that have not heard of these guys stuck in the rut where can they find you tom um youtube instagram facebook tiktok but i'd say the biggest if you want to get in contact with us instagram is probably where um i get the most interactions with being able to talk to people and stuff youtube gets so flooded with comments from negative to positive um to other random stuff like i just i can't keep up with youtube anymore with with the comments you want to get in contact with us message me on instagram i almost that's like my texting is instagram you know what i mean like that's right see what people are asking if they, anybody has any questions about the courses i do a meal their course too um we didn't have time to get in that that's okay um but wolf course whatever that's where to find us Yep. And I'll link everything up here in the description of this podcast so okay. you guys can see it. And, uh, and Tom's for your knowledge, this will be on uh, YouTube, Spotify, uh, carbon TV. So it'll get out there and oh, nice. lots of different platforms that people can, can see. And you'll see, uh, all their links in the description on each platform. Oh, nice. Right on. All right. All right, guys, this is the Western obsessions TV podcast. Thanks for your time. I appreciate each and every one of you. This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, 
it's an obsession.